Let's pray as we get started here. Father God, we come before you this morning in light of what Jesus has done to seek us out, to die for us, to make us his own. In light of that, Father, would you build us up this morning in light of your word? Would you help us to see more of your will for us as a church and how we express that together? So guide us in this time by your spirit and by your word. And may we walk out of here this morning excited about what you'd have for us as your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Imagine with me, if you would, for a moment, you're sitting in a doctor's office on a cold January morning, much like today, and your doctor has recommended that you take a few diagnostic tests, and you're about to receive those results, and as far as you're concerned, you're, you're more or less pretty healthy. You're doing pretty well in terms of your physical fitness, but you're still a bit nervous, And as they finally knock on the door and enter, you can tell by the look on their face that the results are not something you're going to want to hear. And as they sit down, they take a deep breath as they look you in the eye and as you brace to hear the news. Now, this is something that many of us in this room have experienced or you will experience one day. It's that sinking feeling that something isn't right and we can't put our finger on it. And it's the news that may or may not change the rest of your life. And so as we continue our study on ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church, it's our hope that this series is going to ground us in what God has done among us, or has done in us in making his people, what he's doing among us as his church, and what he will do through us in this community. And Lord willing, that will unite us together under God's will and his desires for us as a church as we move forward united and unified in his will. And so this morning we're going to discuss the wonderful reality that we are God's people together. We are God's people together. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 this morning if you want to turn there. And in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, we're going to see that when we forget what we have been cured of, we will be content with expressing our faith independently and we will struggle to be dependent upon God. But Jesus was completely dependent upon his Father in every way, and he was fully committed to curing our greatest disease. And in him, we can experience true fellowship as we are devoted to helping one another be dependent upon God. And that's how we will together express God's design and his desire for the local church. And so follow along with me in Acts chapter 2, again, verses 42 through 47. This is God's word to God's people here this morning. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so let's go back for a moment into our doctor's office where they've just laid out for you in great detail this terrible disease that you've had since before you were born, but you never knew it. It's been operating under the surface. But now it it really explains a lot of the difficulties and the troubles that you've experienced throughout your life. You learn about this destructive disease, how it brings decay from the inside out, how it isolates you from other people, and how it ultimately, in the end, brings death. And as much as your doctor tries to be reassuring in these moments, you've already stopped listening because of the shock of what you've just heard. Our passage this morning, it shows a group of people who experienced that very same thing. They were confronted with the depth of sin's destructive power. Now, the book of Acts, it was written by a guy named Luke, and he was a physician. And he traveled around the ancient world, and he witnessed firsthand the gospel being spread into the known world, and he recorded all that he saw. And he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which describes in great detail the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. So his Gospel was part one, and the book of Acts was his part two. And he was tracking how faith in Christ spread throughout the ancient world. And so in that, he's like an epidemiologist. He gets to study how this airborne antidote of the Gospel spread person to person from Jerusalem, where we find ourselves this morning, into the surrounding areas, into the region, and into the known world. God's plan was for this to happen through this group of men that we're going to read about here in a moment. Acts chapter 1, it describes Jesus' final moments with his apostles. And these were the men that he had personally sent out to share the uh, the good news of the gospel. These were the men who had witnessed his resurrection and whom were entrusted with the gospel and given the role of spreading that from Jerusalem into the world. And so as we get into chapter 2, we find the apostles, they were together at Pentecost. And Pentecost was a Jewish celebration uh, where people from all over the world came to celebrate God's provision in the harvest. And so imagine like a comic book convention or like a political rally. Like if you were at this celebration, like you were sold out for this movement. You were devout. You were there and you were excited about it. People from every nation, they were devoted to observing this ritual that had been instituted thousands of years earlier. So the apostles, they were together. They were in Jerusalem. And out of nowhere, out of this this rushing sound of wind comes upon them. And tongues of fire landed on their shoulders. And they were speaking in other language, in other, other tongues, as the Spirit spoke through them. And so other people in Jerusalem, all these devout men who had gathered for this festival, they heard this sound, and they went to check it out, and they were bewildered, and they were amazed, and they were astonished at what they were hearing because they were hearing of the mighty works of God in their own language. They were understanding what God was saying to them about what he had done in their own tongue. So, Others watching this, they were less impressed by what was going on. They thought that all these guys had been partying way too much, and they were actually pretty drunk. But Peter, this apostle, he decides to get up and tell everybody what was actually going on. And as he did it, Peter let it rip. He said, these guys aren't drunk. It's nine in the morning. Instead, he showed them how Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection was always God's plan for saving his people. And that it was promised all over the place in Scripture. 
And then Peter, he ends this sermon with a bomb. He drops it right on him and says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So those who heard that had this moment of what a doctor might call acute emotional stress. They were super convicted that they had killed the Son of God. They had killed the Christ. They had killed the one who had come to save them. And they cried out, Brothers, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in that moment, Luke records 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people trusted Christ for their salvation. And this is where we find ourselves this morning. This is where we will consider our first point, that this early church, these baby Christians, they were devoted to dependence upon God. They were devoted to dependence upon God. And so again, imagine with me, you're in your doctor's office, and they give you this terrible news. The worst news that you've ever heard, and though they're trying to talk to you, you're not paying attention. You're shell-shocked. But then, seemingly out of nowhere, the doctor gives you this good news that there is a cure. That as terrible as this disease is, you can be healed. Can you imagine that emotional swing? Going from the depths of despair to the heights of joy in just a matter of a few seconds. That's what these 3,000 individuals experienced. And not only is there a cure, but this cure, it's free to you. It works immediately, and its side effects are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is absolutely amazing. Imagine those individuals hearing this wonderful news. It is almost too good to be true. How can this be? Tell me more. That's what was happening here in verse 42. These 3,000 new baby Christians, they were now devoted, or literally what that means is they were intensely committed. They were intensely to, uh, committed to something new, to something wondrous and wonderful. They were intensely committed, we see here, to the apostles' teaching. And now this took place every day at the temple where they would go, they would hear about who Jesus was and what he had done. And now think about this for a second. At this point in redemptive history, there were no other places in the world where you could hear the authoritative truth of the gospel. This was ground zero for this pure gospel to be proclaimed clearly and explicitly and publicly. Now, this doesn't mean that Old Testament saints like Moses or David or Isaiah, they were not saved. But what it does mean is that the promises that were made to Moses and to David, and all of God's promises that were communicated by a guy like Isaiah, they had now been fulfilled. The airborne antidote to sin's decaying and destructive power was, was being shared. It was being spread by these apostles. And once these baby Christians got a taste of it, they wanted more. 
It's like that pink bubblegum medicine that we took when we were kids. Stuff was super good. I'm jealous when my kids get to take it now. <laughs> Jesus had sent these men to be the authority on the gospel, to clearly and explicitly and publicly declare that Jesus was the Christ, that he had accomplished all that he came to do. And here's what they said in Acts chapter 4. This is what they were putting out there. There's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This was news to these people. This was new to these people. And these apostles, who were just normal dudes, they confirmed their message, we see in verse 43, by performing many wonders and signs. Many wonders and signs. And these were not just miracles for miracles' sake. But these works that they did, they were meant to confirm that they had the authority to speak on behalf of God and that what they were saying was true. What happened in Jerusalem did not stay in Jerusalem, thankfully. And as the gospel spread into the rest of the world, we see that elders were appointed in local churches to continue the work of protecting and proclaiming the gospel. And today, as a church, we still have elders who are appointed to exercise oversight over the church, to protect and to proclaim the pure gospel. And so Jake and I, we are elders here at River City downtown, and to be clear, we are not apostles. Jesus did not personally send us to do his work. We did not witness him risen from the dead in the flesh. But if we take a tour of the New Testament, we see that elders are those who are called to care for the church of God, those whom Jesus obtained with his own blood. We are to exercise oversight over the church, and not under compulsion, but willingly, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering, but rather being examples to the flock. And so we are responsible for the teaching and the content that flows from this pulpit and how that informs the life of our church as a whole. And so Jake and I, as elders, we are going to be held accountable to how we do that. Hebrews 13, 17, it keeps me up at night. And at the same time, it informs our relationship as elders and members here at this local church. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know it's going to happen. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. James chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, as I teach. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Awesome. But what we put forward matters. What we teach is one of those things that we're going to be held accountable for. And for River City, being dependent upon God means being devoted to his word. Not to my word, not to Jake's word, 
but to God's word. It means having a healthy elder team that teaches from the Bible with accuracy and with clarity. And as we do that, that reminds us that we're actually God's people. It'll remind us that we do not express our faith independently as individuals. And it'll remind us that we cannot be indifferent to the needs of one another. When we are devoted to God's word, we're not going to look elsewhere for cures to our spiritual ailment, but we're going to continue coming back to what God's word says about who Jesus is and what he has done. And that starts with godly men who are called into eldership, who protect the gospel, who proclaim the gospel, and who pass that on to you and to future generations. That's what we do. That's who we are. And that's something that we as a church need to emphasize in the not only in the season ahead of us, but for the rest of our time here before Jesus comes back and gets us. This is how we can continue to be a a place where the spiritually sick and hurting can find ongoing care for their souls. And as we get into 2019, we're going to be reigniting our processes for identifying and equipping and installing elders because it's that important to us being devoted to God's word, for being dependent upon God together. Because a church is a place where the pure gospel is proclaimed, it is protected, it is passed on, and it is done as we together are devoted to God's word. We also see these baby Christians expressing their dependence upon God in two other ways in verse 42 that we're going to talk about right here. We see them being intensely committed to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And so this celebration, Pentecost was taking place in Jerusalem only seven weeks after they had celebrated the Passover. And that was a, <clears throat> excuse me, a celebration of remembrance as well. It was looking back to God's work of delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. <clears throat> and so at the first Passover, God instructed his people to take the blood of a spotless lamb and to put it over their doorposts so that when God passed over Israel, he would not destroy their firstborn male children. And they celebrated God's deliverance of taking them out of slavery every year for a few thousand years with the meal. And so just seven weeks prior to the events that we're studying here this morning, Jesus had celebrated this meal with his disciples, but he had made it very clear that he would be the spotless lamb, that it would be his blood that would be shed to deliver them from slavery to sin. And so this meal that they'd eaten annually for a few thousand years suddenly had this incredibly new and significant meaning for them. Now they were practicing it regularly. They were intensely committed to this practice as a reminder of their dependence upon Christ for salvation. And so that's why we as a church practice the Lord's Supper every week, because that helps us remain dependent upon God, dependent upon Christ as the one-time sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. It keeps us from looking elsewhere. And we continue to express our dependence upon God in the second element that we see that we'll highlight here from verse 42. We see these early Christians, they were intensely committed to the prayers. Intensely committed to the prayers. And so the prayers were another significant element of Jewish worship 
that was given new significance and meaning for these baby Christians. So normally at the temple, there would be formal prayers taking place at 9 a.m. and at noon and at 3 in the afternoon. And there were two major prayers that were repeated often. In fact, they're still used even today in Jewish worship. But now, having found faith in Christ, and when we look at the whole book of Acts and what was taking place as the gospel spread, we see these new Christians not only committed to these regular prayers that they were used to, but we we see them praying all the time. Because of Christ, they had been given full access to God. They could bring to him their requests and their needs and their praises, and this was them expressing their dependence upon God in all things, not only hearing from God through the apostles, but by going to him with all of their requests and their petitions with regularity and with renewed commitment. And so for us as a church, we pray a few times on Sunday mornings, Uh, We pray in our community groups every week for a variety of things. But what we would like to do is to be more devoted to prayer ourselves, especially on Sunday mornings as a church. So starting next Sunday morning, we're going to have regular prayer that takes place during both services, made available to anybody. Tracy Sortland is going to help us with that. Tracy uh, has been around for a long time here at River City. She has the flu this morning. Otherwise, is going to thank her publicly, but instead, let's do it without her here. And we can pray for her (laughs) relief soon as she has the flu this morning. But she's going to help us to be more devoted to prayer. And we hope that that's going to help us as a church express our dependence upon God together with more regularity and with new and renewed significance, asking our God to continue helping us and guiding us and to pray that he would help us to be a light of the gospel in this community. And so next Sunday morning, she's going to come to the 9 o'clock service. She's going to be up at the top of the stairs at the second floor just praying. If you want to come early and pray, go for it. You want to come to the 11 o'clock service after you spend some time in prayer? That's wonderful. We'll be praying during the second service next Sunday as well, too. And anyone is free to come. And this may be a way for you to to further express your personal dependence upon God. It's It's a way for us as a church to express our dependence upon God together. Or maybe as we consider the devotion that this early church had as they had this new significance, new meaning for all the things that they were experiencing Maybe for us, it's digging more into our Bibles personally. Why? Because it describes our great Savior. It describes in detail His great cure for us. It's where we breathe in this airborne antidote that is the gospel, that works immediately, that changes us immediately. And that continues to renew us more and more into the image of Christ. And so are we breathing that in? Are we thirsty for it? Do we want these things? And then how are we expressing that? How are are we coming alongside one another, easy for me to say, to express that, to help one another to breathe that in? Because a church is a place that expresses its dependence upon God by being devoted to his word, by being devoted to the Lord's Supper, by being devoted to prayer. A local church has healthy elders who protect and proclaim and pass on the pure gospel. And our second point this morning 
A church is made up of people who are interdependent upon one another. They are devoted to interdependence upon one another. This, <clears throat> this flows again from verse 42. And this is where we see, again, these baby Christians, they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the fellowship. And this devotion, this intense commitment that they showed is described in the rest of our passage here this morning. Now, when we, we find this amazing cure, when we breathe in that antidote to sin's destructive power and we f- find that there's a multitude of other people who have breathed that in as well, who are moving towards death but have found life, we're going to want to celebrate with those individuals. We want to enjoy our shared Savior together. We want to experience more of the side effects that come from faith in Christ, that joy that comes from sharing the same Savior. And so Luke, tracking the gospel, being the physician, being the detailed dude that he was, he shows us that another symptom of the gospel is we have this intense commitment to others who have also been cured, who have also been healed, and who have also been made new along with us. And so in that, a church is a place where together we share in the blessings and the benefits of the gospel, and that's all to the praise of God. And so this idea of sharing is what Luke is getting at. The word for fellowship in verse 42 is koinonia. You say that with me? Koinonia. Good enough. It's all over the New Testament, and it's used often for fellowship is how it's interpreted. But literally what it means is it's when we share something in common, when we participate in the benefits of something as a group. And so for us, It means having close and intimate relationships centered around our common Savior. And that's what these new Christians had found. And if we look at verses 44 and 45, we're going to see one element of what this looked like practically for these new baby Christians. They were together, and they had all things in common. They sold their possessions and their belongings And they distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And so the first thing for us to consider is that they were together. They lived life in close proximity to one another. They still had their own homes, as we see further on this passage. But they were intensely devoted to being in the physical presence of one another. And this was an overflow of this new spiritual reality that drew them together as Christians. We'll see this later in Acts chapter 4, if you read further this coming week, verse, uh, four, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 32. And at this point, there are already another 2,000 people who had believed the gospel, who had found faith in Christ and who had joined this new and growing church in Jerusalem. And Luke described these individuals as being of one heart and one soul. That's Luke 4.32. And out of that spiritual reality, being united to Christ through faith, it also meant that they were united to one another with a deep bond. And as an overflow of this bond, they just wanted to be around other Christians. 
And as they were in one another's presence, what they saw was the practical and the physical needs that arose, and they sprung into action to meet those needs. And so another symptom that Luke puts forward for us of the gospel is an increased concern for the good of other Christians. And when you think about it, we can see why. Having been cured of the same destructive disease, you have this increased understanding of what people have gone through, and you have an immediate connection, regardless of your background and personal history, regardless of any other differences you might have had. A church is a place that is made up of people who shared that same destructive disease, but they have the same healing cure. And this shared experience of being devastated by a diagnosis, but finding healing through the gospel, that forms deep bonds between us. And when we realize that we are one heart and we are one soul together, this reality should give us a growing desire to be around one another and to do life together and to help meet the needs of one another. And as we go further into this passage in Luke, uh, Acts chapter 2, another symptom of that gospel and another mark of true fellowship is not only sharing our resources with one another, but sharing our Savior with one another. And we'll see more of that in verses 46 and 47 if you want to look there. We see that together, day by day, they were going to the temple. And again, that's where they were hearing the gospel. That's where they were hearing the authoritative teaching, the only place in the world where they heard about Jesus. They were going there day by day to hear more. We see them breaking bread in their homes. We see them enjoying meals together where they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. And so as they shared their Savior together, we see them sharing praise together. They were worshipful people together. That's why it's so fun to hear the people of God sing on a Sunday morning. They were intensely devoted to this true fellowship that was marked by a sharing of their resources and a sharing of their Savior. And so for us, for us, as we embrace this gospel, as we breathe this in, what does it look like for us to be intensely devoted to one another, to share our resources, to share our Savior together? And again, it means emphasizing life together in community, our community groups, and not just getting more people connected. We've talked about that for years, and we'll continue talking about that for years. But it's emphasizing having healthy community groups, groups that are functioning well where these kind of things are taking place. <clears throat> so over the past two months, what we've been doing with our leaders is taking them through some content meant to help them better discern group identity. Who are we as a group? And helping them to determine what's one area where each group can focus their energy and their attention in the coming months. And then third, how are we as a group doing? How are we in the word? How are we in prayer? How are we in one another's lives? How are we in the church? How are we in the community? And just taking some time this month to start to ask some of those questions. So you're going to see that actually playing out in your groups this week. You're only going to have one discussion question, and you're welcome. Normally we send like nine. But we're going to have one discussion question this week, and that's simply, what makes our group unique? 
And asking that question draws out what your group values, what your group gets excited about, and Lord willing, it'll show you, like, it's amazing that God brought us together. That's crazy. That's great. It's our hope that you walk out of those group meetings understanding this is who we are together. And when you know that, then you will know how you can make significant contributions to that identity being expressed more and more and more. You'll, you'll know where you fit in and how you can help your group. So we're doing that this week. If you're, if you're not planning on going this week because it's too cold, maybe you should just go anyway. This will be a great time to talk about what makes your group unique and how you can know how you can make significant contributions to that group identity being expressed. So we'll emphasize community groups. We'll emphasize healthy community groups. But secondly, we can also express our intense commitment to interdependence by emphasizing covenant membership. As the church in Acts continued to grow, it became apparent that more organization and structure was going to be necessary. And as the gospel moved into the region and into the known world, we see that local churches were given wisdom about how to be structured and how to be organized and how to do life together. And so membership is one way that we as a church can express God's will for our relationships. It's defining the nature of our relationships with one another. And it's a formal commitment to helping one another be more dependent upon God. Covenant membership says, I'm committed to you even if you're not committed to me. And I'm going to be there for you even when you don't want me to be. I'm committed to reminding you of Christ's devotion to you, and you're committed to reminding me of the very same thing. It says that we are intensely committed to sharing our lives in every sense. In many churches, they'll look to attendance on Sunday morning as an indicator of health. But what we should be considering is how many people have been willing to commit themselves to one another in this way. And so, our next membership class, February 17th, in the afternoon. We're going to go into more detail about what membership entails, where it comes from, why it's important. But put it on your calendar. You can come and ask questions. You can grill us. But ultimately, we want you to consider committing yourselves to others in this body as we commit ourselves to you. And that's the beauty of covenant membership. And that's how we can be intensely committed to one another amidst life in a broken world. Now at the end of verse, at the end of 46 into 47, Luke notes that these baby Christians, they had favor they had favor with all the people. And so this new community of Christians was living in such a way that those living around them, they saw their beliefs being expressed in their relationships. The reality that we are prone to forgetting what we've been cured of and that in that we can be content to live independently of one another. What happens is, We'll forget that we're God's people, and then we forget God's people. And then we're inattentive to the needs of one another, and we fail to, rec- uh, to, to express the reconciling power of the gospel to a world that's paying attention. 
And so what do we do with that? What empowers Jake and I to shepherd this flock willingly and not for shameful gain? What empowers you to commit yourself to helping others be more dependent upon God? What empowers us as a church to express our faith in such a way where the people we know, the people that we know, are glad that they know us? We come back to what this early church was celebrating and what for us, I hope, is not becoming stale. God the Father shared his son with us. He sent Jesus, who is completely dependent upon his Father in all things. And when Jesus was tempted by Satan to care for himself, rather than trusting in his Father, Jesus quoted Scripture. Jesus went back to the Word of God and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was the Word of God who daily depended upon the Word of God. He would often leave everybody and just go off by himself and pray. And now, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us this very moment. Jesus was intensely committed to doing what was necessary to bring healing and a cure to our dead and dying hearts. And he remains committed to us even now. When the religious leaders asked Jesus in Luke chapter 5 why he ate with messed up and sinful people, Jesus responded by saying, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus, he is our great physician. He is our great physician who died so that we could have life. Imagine your doctor offering that. Imagine your doctor saying, I will take your sickness upon myself and I will give you my perfect health. No doctor would do that. No doctor could do that. But Jesus Christ has taken our sin upon himself and he has given us his perfect life, his holiness, his righteousness. And so not only are we cured from our disease, but we are made completely new because of him. And as our great physician, Jesus is shaping us as his church into a teaching hospital, as Counselor Bob Kellerman would say. A teaching hospital, a place where we can, at the same time, we can give and we can receive the spiritual care that we need. That's who we are. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans 15, 14, he told them, I'm satisfied, my brothers, in what I see in you. What I see is that you're full of goodness. You're actually living out what you believe. You're filled with all knowledge. You're holding fast to the true gospel. And you're able to instruct one another. So not only do we teach the gospel, we teach one another how to teach the gospel. That's how we share in our Savior together. That's how we remain devoted to interdependence. And as elders, Jake and I are to quote from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4, we are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Because we're open to those things. We're open to those things. But rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so, we're a teaching hospital, a place where you can give and receive care, where we express our faith interdependently upon one another. And so as we pursue healthy eldership, as we pursue healthy membership, we hope to increase the ways that we can equip the saints for the work of ministry, because it is hard. If you've entered into the difficulty that people face in any level, you know that this is, this is tough work. But we go in knowing we've got the greatest news this world has ever heard. We've got the greatest cure for sins, disease, and destruction and decay. And we can go and share that with one another. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, as Devin said, in announcements to celebrate Christ. Because forgetting what we've been cured of, we're going to be content with expressing our faith independently. And we're going to struggle in that to be dependent upon God. But we can remember We can remember and remind one another that Jesus was fully dependent upon his Father in all things. And he was intensely committed to curing our greatest disease. And so in him, in Christ, we can experience true fellowship as we're devoted to helping one another to be more dependent upon God. That's good news. That's why we're here. So let's pray. Father God, we come before you only because of your son who's made a way for us, who has brought health and healing to broken and hurting people. Lord, we confess this morning that we're so much more used to being independent, relying on ourselves, Lord, help us today to be more dependent upon you in all things. And whatever that means for the people here, whatever that means for me, Lord, give us clarity on the ways in which we can grow in being dependent upon you, upon your son, upon your spirit, upon your word. May our time now as we go to the communion table remind us of our dependence upon Christ for salvation. And in that, Lord, we ask that you would unite us together with even deeper bonds as we go forward as a church. Would you unify us around your son, around your purpose for us? And Lord, as we see in this passage, would you add more to the number who are being saved through River City Church? Would you bring the hurting and the broken here? And may you give us the opportunity and the ability to share the good news. So Father, we, we rest in your son now. 
Help us to rest in him as we go from here. Help us to celebrate him in praise as we sing together. And in that, may you increase our joy in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.